We have loved this bonus month of Question of the Day where we've appeared every weekday. James, have you liked being on the radio podcast every day? You know what? I just like hanging out with you every day and talking our questions and and you telling me answers. It's nice of you to say. Um, Here's the bad news. Starting next week, we're going back to our usual three-day week. It's true. Why can't we? I love doing five days. I know you love doing five days, but life intrudes. And you know what? Maybe we'll get back to five days at some point. Okay, but you know what? Here's the good news. What's the good news? The good news is that they can go back. They can subscribe to Question of the Day. We've already done so many. we've done more than 40. And it would be great if people listen to the beginning, listen now, and see the difference. Maybe we're getting better. I I think we're not getting worse. That's what I'm willing to say. Now, I will announce one change in our schedule. When we first began this program back in September, we were Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Now we're going back to three days a week, but not Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We're clustering Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So that means you can listen to three episodes during the week, and then you have the whole weekend to kind of prepare for the next one on Tuesday. And again, to be sure you don't miss one, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Stephen, have you ever been like really depressed? Not, and I don't mean sad. I don't think so. Like when someone dies, for instance, yeah, yeah. people get sad. That's yeah. not real. That's, of course... Depression, you get depressed and you get sad, but it's not like so real. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been clinically. Is when there's no reason and you still like you can't Mm -hmm. get out of bed, you can't read a book, you're just you're just down and out. So my answer is no, um, but I have not. But I've certainly been blue and down, as I'm guessing just about every human has. And I have had. uh, I'm very familiar with depression in my family. So my dad who died when I was a kid. Now, I didn't know this um, while he was alive because I was a kid, but he was um, manic depressive, and that was not a good time to be man. Not, not that any time is a good time, but the treatments for it were very limited, and he, my dad had electric shock therapy. Wow. Um, which, you know, I learned about all this. My, my very first book that I ever wrote was about my family. Um, it wasn't just a, it was about my family's particular weird religious history. It wasn't just about... Turbulent you know, Souls, turbul- excellent book. Thank you very much. I promoted it again on this, Thank on this you. podcast. Now it's called <laughs> Choosing My Religion. It got retitled after Freakonomics for some reason. But anyway, yeah, so I didn't know really about his depression, um, and certainly not about like the electric shock therapy until long after he was dead when I, I began to interview my mom and, and other family members at length about, uh, you know, the family. And it was just so painful to learn about it. But I will say this, um, as part of learning about his difficulties, I also learned about what he did about his difficulties. He ended up dying at age 56 from, he kind of had a, a stroke and then a heart attack on top of it. So he died from physical causes. But I know that the mental illness contributed um, to his overall quality of life a lot. And one thing that was really heartening was that even when he had real trouble and was really down, he was always looking for a way out. He was always looking for something to improve. Can I ask you uh, something personal yeah, then about sure. it? So you mentioned he was down, but you also mentioned he was, um, uh, I maybe use the word bipolar. Yeah. Did, have you ever, did you ever see a Mania episode from him? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, what was that like? Because um, that's often not just a lot of energy. That's almost a different personality. Yes, yeah, so I would say that I don't know enough about the science of the medicine to even know if I'm using the terms uh, accurately. So I'm a little bit leery of, of necessarily saying bipolar and or manic depressive. But that's what I've been told. Because okay. look, I don't, I don't know what the diagnosis really was. And I don't know if there really was a proper diagnosis then. 
but he vacillated. So here's my very lay lay child understanding of it or recollection of it is he vacillated between in from my perspective absent because when he was down he would remove himself right. which hurts me so much in retrospect to think cuz he loved his family. We had eight kids. He loved being around the kids. He loved to laugh, he loved to sing, he loved to teach, he loved to play ball, all that stuff. But it was so painful to learn that when he was down, that rather he didn't want to, you know, kind of put his sad self out and and make others feel that way. He probably couldn't even get out of bed in those moments. I'm guessing you're right, although I know know from my mom saying that part of it was because he wanted to protect, he didn't want to, I don't want to, I don't know what the word is, not infect people with his, his, but um, so he got involved in this movement that was founded by, uh, I believe, a neuropsychiatrist named Abraham Lowe. And this thing was called Recovery Inc. And it began as kind of inpatient treatment, and then it turned into an outpatient treatment, and then it turned into like this community-based movement where people were supposed to start recovery uh, movement meetings uh, in their communities. And people could come and talk about them based on the teachings of this guy, Abraham Lowe. And my father got very into this, and it apparently helped quite a bit. And the one mantra that my father learned and used a lot that I came across repeatedly in his journals and notes years after he died when I went back to write about him was this, move your muscles. Yeah, well, they say there's a lot of evidence to suggest that exercise every day is just as powerful as a pharmaceutical antidepressant. Mm-hmm. So so that that could be possible. I don't know whether that's true or not, but that that that... That could very well be. The idea behind this thinking was if you are just so, whatever the word is, depressed, despondent, I don't know, that you literally can't get out of the chair, that you can't get out of bed because the thought of doing anything just gives you no pleasure, no joy, no no respite, that if you can just move your muscles on something benign, unrelated, get up and wash the dish that's in the sink, that it will begin to trigger you know, a set of uh, movements that will mentally um, help you begin to strengthen and heal yourself. So well, that is, that's the, when you ask like, what's the thing you do? I haven't confronted that depth, but when I get to feeling kind of unable to do what I want to do, I just remember to physically try, to, I try to break the mental block with a physical maneuver. Well, I will, I will tell you the answer that was given so, so the, the question on Quora was, how does one overcome depression and anxiety? And to me, the implication was to do it through somehow natural means. Because, you know, antidepressants sometimes work, sometimes don't. They're very difficult to prescribe because you don't know what's actually happening in the brain. Is it the serotonin? Is it the dopamine? No, Nobody, you have to do all and these tests to figure it out. And what's the placebo effect, which is huge right. with all medicine? So this guy who is, they, he's labeled, he, uh, they have an algorithm for this, he's the most viewed writer on depression in Quora. That's his qualification. Is, he, uh, is he a professional? Is he a doctor it doesn't, or it doesn't say. It doesn't say. But what what he says is, drink a lot of water, the single best thing you can do for yourself is drink more water. I had never heard of that before. Um, take a lot of vitamin D. Now, I have heard that before. So I have had a close family member who suffered from depression similar to your father's. And what we got this person were two ultra bright, like you can buy them on Amazon. Those I, lights, sunlight yeah, lights? Or? Yeah, they're like they're like the sun because this person was also getting seasonal affective disorder, like o- only these super depressive events in the winter and we would just shine them on her and to kind of help her with her mm. depression. And in the mornings, she would have a little bit more activity than than normal. Um, it didn't totally solve it. 
Uh, and then here's an interesting one, which I've heard. Maybe you and I were talking about this, but uh, make your bed every single day. Mm. So we well, that's like the move your muscles thing. It's the idea that like the the seemingly insignificant thing can just become, you know, it's a little bit like the whole notion of habits, right? Yeah. So I guess like this idea that I've been thinking about a lot lately is this is going to really anger some people. Um, just asking the question. Is addiction, how real is addiction, is a question that I sometimes ask myself. Well, well, I think also, let's say there's two types of addiction. Right. Right, so there's like cocaine you're gonna have, or alcohol, you're going to have withdrawal. So right. So you're, you're physically going right. to have to check into a hospital with alcohol withdrawal. But like, uh, there's also everything from, you know, love addiction to addiction of... Uh, right, and there's a big spectrum of physiological to neurological and so on. But, you know... I guess my question, my 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 feeling, and the reason I want to ask that question, and I don't know how to answer, I've been working on it, is it's very easy to when you find uh, when you identify something you do that's deleterious to you. Uh, maybe it's gambling, maybe it's dating bad people, maybe it's other kinds of habits, eating whatever, blah blah blah. I've done all those. <laughs> I think it can be tempting to say, well, it's an addiction. And what that does is it kind of lays off some of the responsibility. Whereas I suspect and fear that a lot of things that people think are of as addictions are really more like habits that we get into and that we have a hard time breaking. But I think that if you think of them as habits, the way you try to get out of them is very different than you'd get out of them if you think about them like an addiction. We'll dig even deeper into this question of the day right after this. Here's another question that everyone asks at one time or another. How should I manage my money? Whether you're a multi-million dollar investor or just starting out, the answer is Betterment. Five years ago, Betterment built the first automated investing service to help make it easier and less expensive to make better financial decisions, from building wealth to staying on track for retirement. Betterment's smarter technology provides personalized investment advice based on your financial goals, then builds and automatically manages a customized portfolio for each goal. With automation of rebalancing, deposits, and tax-efficient investing, Betterment helps you save time and money and gives you peace of mind for a fraction of the cost of traditional investment services. And it's easy to start investing with them by linking your bank account or rolling over your 401k or IRA. Betterment is already managing billions of dollars for more than 100,000 customers. Don't you want to be a smarter investor? Sign up today on your computer or smartphone and get up to six months of free automated investing. Get the offer and full terms and conditions at betterment.com slash question. Betterment, investing made better. Sign up today at betterment.com slash question. It's interesting. You So... Your view of addiction almost as kind of a habit or a choice that you're making each time you go for the well, addiction. Well, I wouldn't say you make the choice each time. That's the thing about a habit. Once you make the habit, once you form the I habit, see. you're not making a choice. And it feels like it's foreordained. And it feels like I have to do this thing. Right. I have to, whatever, smoke this cigarette. Look, I, I used to smoke some. And you completely quit. stopped? Yeah, but I'm not saying it was, it was a lot easier for me than a lot of people. But that's, that's actually, that's exactly the kind of spectrum that I think we need to know more about is for the people for whom it's hard, is it hard because it's physiologically? Well, this is why it's so hard 
to diagnose depression, right? Or it could be anxiety. It could be serotonin-related de- depression. It could be post-traumatic stress disorder. Or it could be uh, addic- getting or you know some sort of addiction withdrawal. It could be something related to the dopamine in the system or the your your the magnesium or vitamin D in your body. Like there's so many different ways that create the same symptoms, and they just randomly prescribe medication when it's it's hard. It's hard to test, although it's getting easier to well, test. Well, I, I mean, look, I, I kind of empathize with what you're saying, but I would disagree with the way you characterize it because I know a lot of people in the profession, and and like randomly is the last thing they do. They like people in, but they in, try. They what they do. What I see is they try things, so they'll give you like across a spectrum of medications and see which yeah, ones work. Yeah, because you can't do an RCT on a human patient. You can't, you know, say, okay, we're going to... What's we're, an RCT? A um, randomized controlled trial. Okay. We can't say we're going to take you and, you know, split you into 10 versions of yourself and then we'll give you, you know, we'll give version one this pill and version two this pill and version three a placebo and version four sunlight and so on. But, you know, look, I really, really admire people who help others fight depression, and I really, really empathize with people who have it. I'll, I'll tell you something that's really interesting. So would you agree that depression would seem to be an underlying cause of much suicide, much or most suicide? No, because it's like what you were saying with your father and what I've seen with a close family member. Someone who's having a real serious depressive episode would might have ideation of suicide. They might think about it, but they have so little energy they're not. They're literally not moving out of their bed, so they're not going to do what it takes to commit suicide. So, an original criticism of the original antidepressants that were on the market, like twenty-five years ago or thirty years ago, uh, you know, things like Prozac and so on. I don't know if exactly that drug, but uh, uh, was that you'd first get the energy back, but still be depressed, and those people would commit suicide. Yeah. So, one thing that I've learned is that so. F- First of all, I think I would disagree with you in that I would argue that depression is typically or very commonly an underlying cause of suicide or an underlying driver of suicide at least. But the fact is, is we can't really settle this argument because for the very simple matter that we don't really know the answer, that there are, that suicide is such a difficult topic for so many people for so yeah. many reasons that the data on it are incredibly uh, scant and fractured and so on. So people are working on that. There are a lot of researchers who are working on it. But for instance, we don't even really know. Like, here's one basic question you want to ask. Is the typical American who commits suicide depressed and did they receive treatment and what was the treatment? We have no idea because we don't have those data. We don't even know in most cases someone committed suicide because there's such a shame factor that statistics mm, go underreported. It's not. It, it is underreported, but it's like it's, on college campuses. Yeah. Suicide on college campuses is completely underreported. It's true, and there are look. There are a lot of versions of suicide that are underreported. A lot of single car traffic fatalities or suicides that are not treated as such. There are deaths in a lot of circumstances where people have an incentive to not treat them as suicides. If you know hotels and so on. But um, but I will say this. Here's the thing that's frustrating and frightening, and why I think this question is really important is that you might so when you talk you were talking about you know the different reasons or kinds of depression that you might that someone might have so like to me one reason to be depressed or what i consider depressed would be that your life really sucks right that you have like no prospects financially or with family or that your government is oppressive right okay. there are a lot of reasons and that's what i would think would make me quote depressed but as it turns out if you look at it, suicide rates 
tend to correlate positively with higher standards of living, with higher standards of freedom. You know, that's interesting because one time I did a test, uh, my own little pseudoscientific test, is I um, Google allowed you to search on how common certain search phrases were. And so uh, I don't know if they still do this. It was Google Trends, I think. Yep. Um, and I searched on the phrase uh, on Google Trends, um, how can I kill myself? And it correlated, it reverse correlated exactly with the stock market. So when the stock market was crashing, people were Googling, how can I kill myself mm. the most? And, you know, I, I wasn't, I, I offered this, I was doing a regular appearance on a radio show at the time, and they wouldn't allow that to be a discussion because I guess talking about suicide triggers suicide. Well, is it, the myth. It's, a bi- it's a big, I wouldn't say it's a myth. Uh, so there is some debate. So uh, I hate to be self-promotional here, but we did a, a, an hour episode on suicide on Freakonomics Radio a few years back called something, The Suicide Paradox. And the paradox was that the more prosperity and reported well-being in a society, the higher the rate of suicide. But here, here to me was maybe the, because that's like the they have there's well-being and prosperity, and then there's there's loss. So the more prosperity there is, the more loss there is from top to bottom. Well, that's a that's a good point. Um, the the leading suicidologist, uh, or at least one of them, a guy named David Lester, who's written hundreds of papers. Oh yeah, he's my doctor. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He admits how little suicide researchers know about it and depression. And his theory, which is just a theory that he's not been able to prove what he's working toward, he calls it the no one left to blame theory of suicide, which is if you are living in an environment where your your physical and financial and, let's say, political circumstances Uh. are terrible, you can imagine that they'll improve and that you'll feel happier. If, however, you're you're in a world where you have all that stuff, where your needs are taken care of, you have freedom and so on, and you're still despondent, you think, oh, it's not the external circumstances, it's me. And that's that can lead to uh, depression, that can lead to suicide. So rather than end on a suicide note, I do want to finish this guy's list of how to get out of depression because maybe it'll help people. All right, what do we have so suicide? far? Water, vitamin D, and... Um, okay, exercise. Making the bed. Make the bed. Get a hobby. Give yourself an encouraging talk. Give yourself an encouraging talk. Yes. That's interesting. Okay. Uh, do something for someone else. And I actually, that's, that's a big altitude. Yes, I think that's an extremely important one. I think I, when you're I think discouraged, that's a idea. you have to encourage others. That's always my, my saying. You know, when you first started saying that, preaching that gospel of like, if you want to help yourself, help other people first, I thought it was just some nibbledy, nobbledy, gobbledygook that you read on a weird yoga fortune cookie. Which I eat regularly. I'm like just constantly consuming yoga fortune. Are they made of the mat? The more I think about it and try to practice it, I think you're right, James Altucher. Uh, I I think so too. Hang around people who encourage you. I think that's very important. I see why you like this guy's answers. He likes because his answers are your answers. I actually hadn't read this before. This is the first time I'm reading it. Um, And compliment strangers, such as the barista at your local Starbucks. It's kind of weird. Oh, no. Uh, It's related to the encourage others. Yeah, compliment. You just got to be careful there. There's a thin line between cheery and creepy. Yeah, so. Like, pretend I'm the the barista. You come in. Hey. Hi, uh, what do you have? Hey, nice plaid shirt, Stephen. You see? First of all, how do you know my name? Different day, same question-based podcast. What will we solve next time? Stay tuned. 
Thanks again to Betterment for sponsoring today's episode. Betterment has revolutionized investing, making it easier, more straightforward, and less expensive to be a smarter investor. Get personalized advice and investment management for a fraction of the cost of traditional investment services and join over 100,000 customers who are already investing with Betterment. Sign up today and get up to six months of free automated investing, full terms and conditions at betterment.com slash question. Betterment, investing made better. Sign up today at betterment.com slash question. Next time on Question of the Day. Down the street, and I'm walking down the street, and I do something very invasive or rude or whatever. What are you going to do to me? Probably not that much because I'm there, and you're worried about retribution, right? Right. If I'm driving a car, and you're driving a car, if I'm driving a car and you're walking or on your bike, and you do something, I can flip you off because I'm driving away. Question of the Day is produced and mixed by Nathan Rossborough with Allison Hockenberry. 